In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. This thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Are you ready to level up your business using video marketing? Are you sick of getting price shopped, losing an inexperienced local competition, and just getting overall bad leads from the internet that don't understand the value of working with you? Are you a chiropractor, lawyer, doctor, dentist that just feels you're not charging enough for your services and not getting the people and the level of clients and patients that you deserve? Are you ready to become the local authority and drive more pre-sold leads to your business? I'm going to show you how to in a 90-minute training I created to level up your business. And by using these video strategies, we've helped grow businesses from six to seven figures over the past 12 years. And the training is free. Just click on the show notes or go to authenticweb.media slash level up to sign up for the free training. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. Today's show is brought to you by Authentic Web, the leaders in online video storytelling. Uh, if you're a lawyer, doctor, dentist, or looking to tell the story of your business or product, Authentic Web will help you tell the story of your case stories, your About Us page, and all the videos you need. Uh, go to Authentic Web Media uh, today and pick up the planning your perfect case story lead magnet. Today's special guest is Rich Goldstein. He is a patent attorney, a marketer, um, has a lot of awesome information. But, I, you know, I love talking about some of this stuff because everyone talks about marketing in general. But I think the legal side of it is super important because it's, it can be a huge, huge roadblock. And I think everyone, you hit a certain point in business, um, if you're an e-com entrepreneur, you hit a certain point, you're going to have legal issues, and especially on the IP side. And everyone and everyone has so many myths about it. So, Rich... Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. It's great to be here, Ian. Um, yeah. So how, tell me a little bit about your background real quick. How did you get into intellectual property law or IP law? Well, in order to be an, uh, a patent attorney, you need to be both an engineer and a lawyer. So it really started um, as, well, while I was studying engineering, I also got involved in business. I, I started my own salon supplies business. I was selling to hair and, and uh, nail salons all of the different products that they use. So I kind of, um, you know, I went, went out and hit the pavement and, um, and started uh, going into salons and, and um, developed a, a customer list and uh, started that business and basically supported myself through college that way. And so I was studying electrical engineering, and I learned that the reality of being an engineer would be working on the same project every day, day in, day out for maybe five years. And um, being that I was getting very involved in business, I said, you know, being an engineer might not be it for me. Uh, I want to do something more interesting. I think I want to um, change my major to business. And um, my parents encouraged me to stick with it, stick with engineering. And um, 
I heard about patent law, which was a field where you get to use your engineering knowledge and also uh, legal knowledge or legal skill on different projects. So I finished electrical engineering, went to law school, and then when I graduated law school, I started my own firm practicing patent law. And um, because I became a patent lawyer, it basically gave me the ability to work on something different every day. And that's what I do now. So um, that's kind of the path of how it came about. And then um, just in addition, the fact that I started my own firm when I graduated law school meant that I would have to get clients. Mm -hmm. And so I dove pretty deeply into marketing and did a bunch of things that really no one had done before at that point. And, uh, and the rest is history, I guess. Or another way to put it is, well, 25 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, there's so much in that, that, that I want to talk about because like, having a business background, I think, is important because a lot of professionals don't. And, you know, no offense, but they think because they make money that they're business people. <laughs> right. And, they're mar and they think because they have clients coming through the door that, you know, they don't need to worry about marketing because they use referrals. And I'm going to talk about that because you also have awesome videos on your website. And you talked about been, how much they've, they've helped your business and how you've done that. And I want to talk about that, too. But for entrepreneurs, like I've got, you know, people in e-commerce, I've got people that sell um, online courses, uh, you know, and doing that type of thing. What are some of the biggest myths that you see about intellectual property from online entrepreneurs? Yeah, kind of where to start is, <laughs> is the question on that. Um, the biggest myths that they have. Well, I mean, there's the age-old mail-it-to-yourself myth that if you take your idea and you put it in an envelope and mail it to yourself, that will result in... Um, in you getting protection through the fact that you have an unopened postmarked envelope describing your idea. Um, <laughs> that's, that's an old one that's been around for more than a century and it doesn't seem to want to die. So, <laughs> I haven't heard that one in a long time. Yeah, exactly. But I, I still do hear it. Um, and crazy. so just in terms of if, if we're rating our myths by age, that's the oldest. <laughs> um, and, uh, just to touch on that one quickly, um, we are in a first-to-file country now with regard to patents. So uh, regardless of how you feel you might prove that you invented it before someone else, if they beat you to the patent office, it's over. So uh, any notion of, of mailing it to yourself, proving you invented it first through some other way, just doesn't work anymore. So we could put all those myths to, to bed, really. Awesome. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, okay, and Here's another one, and maybe it's less of a myth than it is a trap. So the big trap is that people say, I'm going to get my product out there, um, and if it does really well, then I'll patent it. So they, they look at the expense of filing a patent application. They say, you know what, let me just do it first and then see if it's worth it. The problem is, if you don't file a patent application before you start selling it, then you'll lose your rights immediately in most of the world. And in the U.S., worst case, you lose it in one year. So, uh, and the way it, it typically comes about is people have a great idea and they put it on the market and they say, oh, I'm going to see later if I want to patent it. They come to me and they say, hey, I've got this great product. It's selling so well that I've just got to patent it. And I ask them, well, how long has it been selling? Oh, about two years. 
And I have to give them the unhappy news that it's just too late. Doesn't matter if, if no one else has, has copied it already or no one else is, is already trying to produce it. The, their own public disclosure um, acts as a bar from them or anyone else ever getting a patent on it. Yeah. And that's that's I mean, that's a big one, too, because it's so easy to bring a product to market and it's so easy to get it on there. And I know I mean, I've also heard horror stories from, you know, the big Amazon. I mean, I, I know it's, it's just a story and I don't have the facts down, but, you know, I've heard of people saying that Amazon comes along and just copies their thing and then they're completely out of business because there's no way you're fighting that giant. Right. Um, is, is that a typical thing that happens? Uh, no, not not so typically. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, um, I would say that um, in terms of a, a big competitor seeing what you're doing and then patenting it, that's not as likely a problem as just no one patents it and that you um, you don't have a patent to stop them either. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, so if I do have an idea, what makes it so I should patent it? At what point is it patentable? Okay. Well, um, two questions in there. What makes it so that you should patent it and what makes it patentable? I would say the thing that makes it so that you should patent it is that there's value at stake, that there's something about this product that, um, that, that makes some real upside to having protection. I mean, I see a lot of people fall in love with their ideas, and they have an idea that might be a, a low-level seller over a period of time, um, but there really isn't enough upside to make it worth patenting. It's just that they love the idea of getting a patent and protecting their idea, or they would be, they would be offended personally if someone copied it. But yet, if they're only planning on selling about $5,000 a year worth of product. It's probably not worth investing in a patent. So first of all, it has to be worth it. You have to have skin in the game to make, um, to make jumping into the patent process worthwhile. Now, in terms of what makes it patentable, uh, let's first consider that there are two main classes of patents. There's design patents and utility patents. Um, when we're talking about a design, we're just talking about the look of a product. We're just talking, talking about the physical appearance. So if you have a product that has a very distinctive appearance to it, it might be worth getting a design patent. Uh, design patents were, were never terribly favored or loved by marketers and patent attorneys before because the protection is rather thin. It just protects what the item looks like. And if someone changes the appearance, they're getting around the patent. Um, and then also because it still costs a lot of money to enforce it, to take someone to court, to stop them from making the product. But since Amazon, there's a whole new venue for, um, for giving people the ability to enforce their um, design patents. So if you have a product that's rather distinctive, you're selling it on Amazon, or rather distinctive looking, and you're, you're selling or planning to sell it on Amazon, file a design patent application. The reason being, it's relatively inexpensive compared to the other type of patent that we're about to talk, to, talk about. And if you find that another product is listed that looks just like yours, you can make an IP complaint. You make an IP complaint, which is just sending an email, um, sending the patent number over to Amazon, and they're going to take down the other listing. You don't need to go to court. You don't even need to hire an attorney. So Amazon has actually given design patents a whole new life. 
And I find that a lot of, of, uh, of Amazon sellers these days are filing design applications on just about everything that looks distinctive. You know, if, it's, if the product looks the same as others and it's more internal, then it's not worthwhile. But if the product has a distinctive look, you might as well file a design application because it just gives you extra um, ability to um, prevent your competition from jumping in. And on your website, so your, your website, goldsteinpatentlaw.com, um, uh, which we'll have a link to in the show notes. If you're listening to the podcast, just click on the image and you can go to it. Um, do you have any information on how to, how to file that, where to go for the design patent, more information? Yes. I mean, w- in general, uh, we talk about – I have a series of six videos on the website which goes through – the the patent process in about 30 minutes. Really, if you watch these videos, it puts you in about the 98th percentile of uh, of how well you know how the system works compared to your peers. Um, so it's a good investment of about 30 minutes. And um, in terms of design patent applications, still should be done by a professional. It's just the the whole key to it is getting the drawings right in a design patent. It's all about the drawings, and it's easy to have it shot down, relatively inexpensive to have it done professionally as well. So it doesn't pay to skimp on that. Um, But, yes, we we talk all about how how it works and what you need in order to do it. Awesome. Yes, make sure to use that. I mean, we're going to talk about those videos in a few minutes, but um, make sure to go go to uh, Rich's site, check it out. So now let's talk about the other kind of patent, the utility patent. Thank you for bookmarking that for me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, yes, the other type of patent, a utility patent, is more commonly what we think of when we think about patenting our idea or patenting our concept. Because a utility patents, what is structurally different or functionally different about a product compared to what had been done before. So you have a product that has working parts. You have a product that has uh, – a, it's different, and it's different for a functional reason. So just for example, you have um, lots of sneaker designs that are produced by companies like Nike and Reeboks. Um, they, they might have design patents on that look. But someone comes along and invents a pump that inflates a portion of the sneaker for performance advantages. That could be the subject matter of a utility patent. So assuming that that hadn't existed before, that idea of adding a pump onto a sneaker, that could be protected with a utility patent. Then it doesn't matter exactly how it looks or where it's positioned. Uh, it's more about th- that combination, a sneaker and a pump put together, and then a utility patent protects that combination. And the way that you know that you have something that's utility patentable is because you have something that's different from things that have been done before, and I think that's pretty clear. Like to, to patent something has to be different, right? That's why people patent things. But the the um, the more important thing is that it has to be different in a non-obvious way, which means it's not something. Even if the exact thing doesn't exist, it can't be something which would be obvious to another person in the field. So it's like if a pump on a sneaker exists, and you want to put it on a loafer. That's probably obvious. Even if no one had ever put a pump on a loafer, it's, it's really pretty obvious to people that design shoes that they could do that if, if they wanted those same performance advantages in a loafer. <laughs> High-performance loafers. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, 
don't try to patent it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how difficult is it to get a utility patent? Well, um, it it all depends uh, on how different your idea is from what's been done before. In in terms of, uh, you know, if, if... you you come up with an idea that's sitting in a sea of other similar ideas, it's going to be really difficult to get it. If you break new ground where you have something that's um, that's very different, very different from things that have been done before, um, then clearly it's going to be easy. And if it's on the borderline, then often what we'll have to do is argue with the patent office that whatever makes ours different, whatever improvement we've made, that it's a non-obvious difference. So in terms of easy to hard, it's all a question of what exists previous. Interesting. So, okay, so, you know, t- let's talk marketing because how, when do you start marketing your idea? When do you start going out there and selling it now that you're, you're in the patent process? And then how do you use the patent process itself to be a marketing tool? Yes, well, once you apply for a patent, once you put in a patent application, then it is patent pending. And you see a lot of products out there that are marked patent pending. And so here's, here's the thing about patent pending and, and where your protection is. So uh, patent pending means that you've established priority for your idea so that if anyone else were to see what you're doing and try to file their own patent, well, they'd be after you. So, so it, patent pending puts you before the competition in terms of getting a patent. Now, on the other hand, if someone sees what you're doing and it's just patent pending, they're free to make, use, and sell the product. So they can go about and, and copy it. Um, but at the same time, they, um, you know, many people tend to stay away from patent pending ideas for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, they can't look up your patent application to learn anything about it. So they don't know what the scope of that patent is going to be. They don't know what's going to be covered with it. Is it for the idea of a pump on a basketball sneaker? Or is it for just a specific type of pump? So they don't know what they could possibly do to get around it. So it creates a whole lot of uncertainty. And they also don't know when you filed. Um, So for all they know, your patent might issue next week. In which case, if they were going to spend the money to tool up to copy the, uh, the product, uh, they might have you st- um, getting an injunction to stop them next week or filing an IP complaint these days. Either way, the point is uh, with patent pending, a lot of the protection comes from the mystique. It comes from not knowing what, it's, what it stands for, what it's going to stand for. Do you think it has any value to the consumer when they see a patent on there? They do. Um, when they see a patent, it, it certainly adds value to the consumer. It makes them feel that it's um, uh, that it's proprietary, that it's something special. Um, there is a, a lack of knowledge generally about patents out there, and people, when they see a patent, they 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 say to themselves, "Oh, they have a patent on the on this product." And what most people don't realize is that um, that every patent has a scope. Now, in terms of myths, let's, let's bookmark that and come back to that myth um, after we finish talking about that. Um, but in terms of its, its value, um, seeing patent pending, seeing patented, 
it tends to be valuable to consumers and it tends to keep most people away. And, and when I say most people, I mean even most copycats away. Okay. All right. Um, so as far as the patent goes, um, you know, okay, we've got it out there. We see it, it's uh, consumable and, and it's something special. Uh, but what can be patented? You know, there's a lot of people out there that are selling information products or selling right. ideas. Are those trademarks? Are those patents? How does that work? Yeah, great question. So um, in addition to being new and non-obvious, an invention has to have what's called patentable subject matter, which just basically means it has to be in the right categories. So you can't patent a book. You can't patent a song. You can't uh, patent a, 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 a movie. Uh, simply because it doesn't fall within the categories. It doesn't have patentable subject matter. So what does have patentable subject matter? So there's some, some technical categories here, and I'll explain them. So there's uh, machine, manufacture, composition of matter, and process. So a machine is just something with moving parts, um, moving parts that interact with each other. Um, and a manufacturer is something that it does not have moving parts, but it still is functional. So something like a shovel, you have a, a unique shape to the shovel. There's no moving parts to it, but it's that unique shape that makes it functional. And then therefore it, it's considered a manufacturer and it has patentable subject matter. Then there's also composition of matter. That's a, like a pharmaceutical or a, uh, a supplement. Uh, the combination of different elements, of different nutrients, of different chemicals. Uh, that's one of the categories. And uh, then there's a, um, a process. A process typically meant like a new way of refining steel, where not that the steel is different, it's about the steps that you take that are different. But in the last couple of decades, the things that have fallen into that category have been processes and app, I'm, I'm sorry, not processes, software and apps. So they're patented because there's a process. There's a process that you go through when you interact with the software, when you interact with that app on your smartphone. So that process is what gets protected. Uh, so those are the main categories. So um, to summarize, it's kind of like physical things that are functional and um, also things like apps and software and other processes. But things like info products are not patentable. Um, the way you would typically protect an info product is in two ways. Um, number one, copyright, and number two, trademarks. Now, um, let's talk about trademarks first. So trademarks are for the branding. It's for the name of the product. It's for the name that you present yourselves uh, as. It's, it's for the name of your podcast, potentially. Like that branding can be protected with a trademark. And what it protects is against people using a name or using a logo that's confusingly similar. So if someone else had a podcast with a very similar name, then you could contend that there's a likelihood of confusion, that people would be confused between you. Uh, and if that's the case, and that's a trademark violation, and, and therefore the flip side of that is that's what a trademark protects. Gotcha. Now, copyrights are tricky because a copyright, the, the protection in a copyright is rather thin. And by thin, I mean it's not... It doesn't protect the concept. It doesn't protect even the ideas in the program. 
So you have certain ideas about what makes a person successful, what makes a person uh, a, uh, a good marketer. Those ideas aren't protected by the copyright. What's protected by copyright is the expression, the way you talk about it. The, the, as people start moving toward copying what you say word to word or word for word, then that's a copyright infringement. If someone takes your program and duplicates the audio and, and rebroadcasts that or uses that without permission, that's a copyright violation. So when it comes to info products, copyrights really prevent direct piracy. They don't prevent people from taking your ideas and doing their own podcast or doing their own info product. Interesting. So once someone has, has these tools, once someone has a patent, um, how have you seen it change their business? How have you seen their business grow in, in, because of a patent? Okay, well, there are several ways in which you can help their business and help their business grow. Um, one of which is by by helping to maintain market share or preventing them from losing market share. So the extent to which you could have something proprietary about your product. So you have some feature or some features of your product that make it better. And you're able to protect those features with a patent, then you're preventing the competition from doing the very things that consumers want. And if that's the case, it helps your business grow because people want your product uh, because it has those features, and your competition can't copy those features, and, and therefore it just helps uh, enhance what you're doing and helps prevent other people from jumping into the market so easily. It definitely at least slows down the competition. That's one way. Um, also, having IP greatly increases the value of the company. So if exit is part of your strategy. If any part of your strategy in growing your business is moving it toward a point at which it becomes valuable to someone to acquire it, then having IP adds tremendously to it. Because anytime someone is looking at acquiring your company, uh, what they're typically looking at is what you've created already, like what market share you've gained, uh, your customer list. The, the sales that you've generated. They're looking at what you've created to date because what they want to think of in parallel to the notion of acquiring your company is, well, what would it take for me to do this on my own? What would it take for me to get together a team and build an app or um, create a bunch of listings or whatever it is to have it rise to the same level? Uh, so what would that investment be? And then would it be more worthwhile to buy what they've already created or to do it on my own? So, um, and I've heard that that's common, commonly said in Silicon Valley is, well, um, you know, a friend of mine um, is a venture capitalist and he said that his other friends in Silicon Valley um, said to him when he was going around looking to acquire companies is, don't buy anything, just build it yourself. And so now that's true. All of that is true when you don't have IP. Because they can just look to see what they might build in parallel that's similar to what you've created. But when you have IP, when you have the rights and only you have the rights to make this product and make these features, then it's a whole different ballgame. They can't just consider what it would take to build your customer list on their own. At this point now, um, because of that, they're not just looking at the market share you've created and the sales you've created. They're looking at the whole rest of the market. 
of the whole rest of the upside and potential. So if you've gained 10% market share, they're looking at the other 90% in terms of what they value your company because that's where they think that they can take it. So having IP can tremendously value what your company is worth because it allows you to own the market. Awesome. Awesome. And then um, how can you use it in marketing per se besides owning the market? How, how can you use it in the market? Well, I mean, um, in, in terms of letting people know that it's patented. Um, and so you're, you're effectively putting the competitors on notice that this is your territory. And, um, and again, whether you actually have to take them to court or not, it tends to keep them away. Once they know that's proprietary, then um, for most people, that's it. I mean, some will take it even further and, and look up the patents, um, and, and some of those will take it further and have a patent attorney analyze the patents to see if there's a vulnerability or where the, the limits of the, the scope of the patent are. But it, it tends to keep most people away. And I think the, the way you use it effectively is by putting people on notice that this is what you have. Gotcha. So you, your website is full of these awesome videos describing all these things for entrepreneurs, for e-commerce people, for anyone looking to, to move forward with some intellectual property. Um, when did you make these videos? Tell me a little bit about how the videos themselves and how you've used them to grow your business. Yeah, I, I actually made the – there's a series of six main videos on my website that I made um, – um, it was about um, seven years ago now, and uh, it's kind of funny. Well, of course, because I look younger, and uh, uh, also that I'm kind of a dork on these videos. <laughs> I think my my suit didn't quite fit well, and my shirt was bunched up, and it was really hot in that studio, and I was sweating, and I had a pimple on my forehead, um, and I had a, a good friend who's a, 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 a professional actor that, um, that you've all seen before, if I mentioned his name. Uh, and I had him working with me to direct those videos and just kind of help me to do my best to be myself in the videos. Um, and the result is that tens of thousands of people have watched those videos. When people sit down with me for the first time, uh, by and large, the first words out of the mouth were, is, I love the videos. And after I watched the videos and I got to see you and your personality, I decided I wouldn't work with anyone else. It would only be you. So that's fantastic. And the other part of it, and the reason I mentioned how dorky I was in the videos, um, is that I have tried to reshoot them over the years and make them look more polished. And you know what? They never do as well as that, those original. I've tested them. I've split tested them against the original videos, and people just love those original videos. So I recommend people to those videos, even though it's slightly embarrassing to watch myself on them, uh, <laughs> simply because I know that when they go there, they're going to get valuable information, and, uh, and it makes them into um, true believers. It makes them into people that, um, that really like me and what I stand for and want to work with me. That's that's so cool because, you know, we, we make a ton of videos for clients and we hear back, you know, like, oh, I want to lose weight before I make the videos. I want to look perfect on the videos. But, you know, it's that authenticity 
that a lot of people want and they don't want yeah. the polished person. And I think that's proof that you've tested it. Um, yeah. And I mean, think about the ROI seven years that you've used those. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty big return on investment there. Probably the best thing I ever did. And, and yes, I, I totally agree. I think it's all about authenticity. It's all about relationship. It's uh, I mean, people connect with people when they could, uh, they can feel them. Right. And people can feel you when you're being authentic, when you're being real and when you're not putting up a, a mask or a front of any kind. And I think it's important that a lot of people fail to, to see is that you, you talk about the process and you go deep into the process. And, and I think a lot of attorneys, a lot of professionals are scared to talk about their process because they think it's like this secret sauce that they don't want to give yep. away. Um, but you, that's not the, the case with you. Right. You just gave it all away. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think um, that's it's kind of a false belief that the secret sauce is in, is in the, the information that they have. I, I think this, like, really, what's, if you give everyone everything that you know, what's left over is your personal experience and judgment, personal experience, judgment, and skill, which you can never impart by, by just sharing information. And what's left then is having you on their team. Like that's something they can't, they can't um, buy just by um, buying your info product. Uh, so you know, once people learn from you and they know what you have to offer, they want you on their team because things don't typically go by the book. And it's great to have someone in, in, their, in their corner that, um, that knows whatever there is to be known and also has the experience to know how to pivot when things need to pivot. Yeah, and I'm sure things need to pivot. Yeah, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, it, that's. I don't believe on, on holding anything back in terms of knowledge and kind of well, this is what I have to sell. Like, no, not at all. Uh, I, I like leverage, and in and providing information gives you leverage. It means that I could teach thousands of people how to not make some dumb mistakes when it comes to patents, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the value that I offer one to one is quite different. It's it's when they really need help uh, on something that's valuable to them. They've decided they have something that's important, it's valuable, and I just want the right person to be in my corner do, doing this with me. That's what I offer. Yeah. So I, I love to leverage the knowledge, and I'm passionate about helping as many people understand this process and not make dumb mistakes. Yeah, and also, I mean, it saves you a ton of time having to explain this stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, like- <laughs> a ton of time, and and I like doing things that are valuable. So not having to explain the same things over and over again to my clients, it's valuable. I get to focus on what I do best. So I, I you know, by and large, um, I give a copy of my book to my clients yes. so that they can be better educated and become better clients. Um, and uh, the fact that eighty percent of my clients come to me because they've first watched my videos means that they're also coming to me educated and then we can just hit the ground running. Awesome. And you're, let's talk about the book. I got it right here. Obtaining cool. a Patent, the ABA Consumer Guide. Uh, straightforward. How long ago did you write this book? So um, it was published um, just about two years ago. Awesome. Um, and uh, it's really cool. And, and there's a cool um, like business and ROI story there too. So the American Bar Association asked me to write this book to explain to everyday people how, um, how patents work. 
and to have entrepreneurs gain an understanding of how patents work, uh, which is really cool to be asked by the ABA to to do that, right? I mean, most that's, people yeah, that's pitch, really cool. they, they, they do book proposals and they pitch their idea to the ABA. And meanwhile, I get a phone call one day where they're asking me. Now, <laughs> the way in which it came about is interesting. So uh, about five years ago, I was traveling a lot, and I was going to conferences in Europe, innovation conferences that had to do with um, what's next with um, with um, innovation and, and evolving business models. And people would ask me, like, "Oh, so you're a patent attorney? Like, what are you doing here?" And and I had said, "Well, I'm I'm building relationships. I'm I'm here to meet people and." I'm not. The truth was, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to pay off, and uh, also attending a lot of events within my field related to patents, and also attending marketing events, events like Traffic and Conversion Summit. I've been going to for years, um, and so I was really, again, not sure where the ROI was going to be, until the phone rang, and it was the American Bar Association, and. And they asked me to write this book. And I asked them, well, you know, all the patent attorneys out there, like, why me? And they said uh, two reasons. Number one, we see that you're out there um, educating people about this stuff. And we see all these events in which you've spoken about this stuff. And we also see that you're out there, that you're out there in the world attending events and um, that you've built up quite a network. And that's what we want in an author, is someone who is who is out there traveling and, uh, and visiting people in different circles. And that's what, what gains interest for a title that we're about to publish. So again, the, the point is, didn't know what the ROI was going to be, but it paid off in terms of them asking me to write this book, which I think is probably, I mean, it's a huge honor and maybe one of the best credibility pieces I could have for marketing is that I wrote the book for the American Bar Association about um, how to get a, a patent. Yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. Because, I mean, anyone can write a book on obtaining a patent, but it's the American Bar Association, which is the association. Um, it, that's fantastic. And this is available on Amazon, correct? Yep, it's available on Amazon, and it's it's less than 20 bucks. I mean, the 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 list price is nineteen ninety five, but you know how Amazon is. They, they, the price jumps around as they see fit. So it usually averages somewhere around 14, 15 bucks. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I went through it. It's it's simple, uh, but detailed and uh, lots of pictures. <laughs> yep. yep, exactly. And uh, I mean, the reason I, and who I wrote the book for really was for everyday entrepreneurs who, uh, who don't have a lot of time. They don't want to read a 500-page book that goes into extreme detail. Um, they want to spend as much time as they need to um, in, to learn the concepts, to help them make good decisions about how to spend their money on patents, when to do it, when not to do it. Um, and so they want to, to, do, to do something in which they spend the right amount of time to do that, but not anymore, to not waste time. So, I mean, I'm a New Yorker, and I'm straightforward, and I don't like to waste time or, or mince words. And so that's kind of what I did in the book is just plain English, here it is. That's what you need to know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not like it's a huge read. It's yeah, it's perfect. Probably about a four hour read for most people. If yeah, you read it cover to cover, and even if you read um, half of it, you would know uh, twenty times more than the average person does about patents. 
and it's endorsed by Barbara Corcoran, Shark Tank, Frank Kern, uh, and the former commissioner of uh, patents. So I think that, that's some good endorsements on the book. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's, a, that's pretty amazing. Uh, Rich, so um, you also, besides this, do a business consulting. Tell me a little bit about that and business coaching. Well, I, I've been uh, um, a little bit more in my in my background. Um, I've been trained as a coach, um, and also um, I used to run an organization that did that did personal growth workshops. So uh, I'm well familiar with what it takes to empower people and to have them understand whatever is getting in the way of their, them fulfilling on their projects. So just in my day to day working with clients, I'll often see a, a place in which a client is stuck, and I'll. I'll just talk a little bit with them to get them unstuck. Um, but when it comes to coaching, um, I typically I'll take on at most one coaching client at a time, someone that I'm directly working with them about their business and about the business model that they're, um, they're pursuing, and j- just look to, to open up some opportunities that they're not seeing um, and to uh, kind of help them get what, what they want whatever that is. So just a slight departure from, in most of my day-to-day, what I'm helping people do is to get protection. But when I'm, I'm, I'm coaching with someone, I'm really kind of looking at them and, and seeing what it would take to help them get what they're trying to achieve. So, And I think that's super valuable because, you know, like we talked about before, no offense to other attorneys, but they're not business people. You know, most of them are not business people. So, you know, if they're, you know especially if you're an engineer and a patent attorney, Maybe you're not the best at coaching on business, so you get this awesome patent, but is it in the right direction for their business? Is it in the right direction for their growth? And I think having someone on this, on your side that does that, I think that's super, super valuable. So that kudos to you, and that's I think that's a great, great thing you offer. Um, awesome, awesome. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah, I would say um, best bet is, um, is you can visit our website, goldsteinpatentlaw.com. And uh, there's helpful information there. You could set up a conf- consultation to talk with um, some of my staff and find out more about what, uh, what it would be to work with us or whether it would be a match for us to work on a project together. And um, that's, in general, the best way to get in contact with me. And also, if you attend e-commerce events, I tend to be around. So um, uh, remember my name, and, uh, and we might just I might be the guy standing next to you at one of the networking events, and let's have a conversation. <laughs> What's the next event you're going to? Let's see. Um, next event I'm going to be at is um, uh, an event called uh, Rakuten Optimize. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. In September. Um, cool. Also, I'm, I'm in Digital Marketers War Room, so I'm at all of those events. Ah, cool. Yeah. Well, Warm's a great place to be. Very cool. Well, Rich, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was great. It was great. And thank you all for listening to Rich and I and taking us on your journey. This has been Iron Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. If you haven't signed up already, make sure to sign up for the free training. It's free for a limited time, the Level Up Video Marketing Training. Really take your business to the next level. Just go to authenticweb.media slash level up or click on the show notes and there will be a link right there. I look forward to seeing you in the training and look forward to seeing you level up your business. That. 
that's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.